Welcome to When Pigs Fly. We're uncovering Cincinnati's rich business history from the 1800s to today. We talk to companies to learn the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, what it takes to grow a successful business, and to simply post to future innovation. I'm one of your co-hosts, Patrick Bailey. And I'm your other co-host, Allie Martin. And today we are talking with Connor Cleese, co-founder of Nectar Capital. Nectar is a cloud-based platform where investment teams can collaborate through the life cycle of an asset and really do all the financial management for commercial real estate. Oh my gosh, this is this is one of my favorite aspects of this podcast is diving in and asking questions to those who are in the tech space and mm. and the app development space because this is definitely beyond my knowledge. <laughs> and this is our second real estate slash prop tech startup on the podcast. Mm-hmm. We first had Mosin from Accrue and now we have Connor from Nectar. Cincinnati is really becoming a hub for real estate and prop tech, which is kind of cool to see. Yeah, it gets it. It's it's cool thinking about the fact that you know you and I could potentially purchase any sort of commercial real estate building at ease and and begin to develop as this type of software and data collection continues to grow and progress. Yeah, and but preparing for this episode, I was kind of just daydreaming a little bit about you know of all the buildings <laughs> downtown, thinking about which building Hype I dreams. would buy, right? And uh, for me, I think I would buy you know the Great American you know oh. building, especially with that it, tiara, oh, yeah. the top it of the really, building. It really makes our city skyline. Just yeah, you know, beautiful. based off of Princess Diana's tiara. Mm-hmm. What building would you buy, Allie? Crew Tower, easily. Really? Oh my gosh, easily. Why is that? That building, uh, okay, first and foremost, little this this can be your, your history nugget, right? So back in the Great Depression time, they started to build this building in 1929, and they had men working around the clock 24 hours, and it was built in two years. So it opened in 1931. At that time, French Art Deco was extremely trendy, so there are so many French Art Deco elements with that building, and what really makes this the the crew tower special and full circle thinking about what we're about to talk about today too with commercial real estate and how our lifestyles have changed is it truly was one of those first buildings that encompassed a city within a city if that makes sense where mm-hmm. there was restaurants and a hotel and a garage and shopping and so many different elements and that was kind of unheard of at that time and then following that after the crew tower was built, then you get NYC, New York City, building out the Rockefeller Center. And then you see the Empire State Building, which was actually mimicked off of the crew towers was the same developers. So it's 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 really interesting to see from a lifestyle perspective, how we're use, using these big commercial spaces today versus what it was like then and comparing it. Yeah. Well, I bet they weren't financing their uh, commercial real estate projects with some software. Through an app, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So with that said, I think it's time to bring in Connor. Let's do it. Connor, if you want to go ahead and give us a background about yourself and then a high-level overview about Nectar Capital. Yeah, for sure. And again, appreciate everybody having me on today. My name is Connor Cleves, and my background is in commercial real estate and business analytics to an extent. I spent a lot of time with Cushman and Wakefield early in my career and did a lot of underwriting, a lot of uh, leasing and brokerage and working with these acquisitions and dispositions of of mainly industrial properties. 
I was working a lot with this gentleman, Steve Young, who is our co-founder and CEO. And I'm sure over a couple of beers one day, we said, hey, this, uh, <laughs> this process is super antiquated. Commercial real estate and, and the way you go to, uh, about purchasing these properties, going to acquire a loan, it's stuck in the 70s and, and it's quantitative information, right? It's, it's something that we can, we can quantify and automate. We should be able to automate it. Why can we not automate it? So Steve kind of came to me with this as we were working together here and there and um, you know, chiseled, chiseled the idea down over 2020. In January, decided to, to try to do something about it and came up with this platform that simplifies commercial real estate lending. So that sounds like a lot. It's, it's very niche. So what we're building today, <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. So, so what we're building. T- I have so many questions. <laughs> I <know. laughs> so I, you know, not, not everybody knows about commercial real estate and commercial real estate lending, but you know, real estate's the largest asset class in the world, right? So there's, yeah. there's a lot of money that goes into it, a lot of time that is spent in this, in this market. So we're trying to make it as efficient as possible. And what we're doing today is we're simplifying the process by automating these debt packages. So what that means is today, if, if Ali, you were going to go get, get a, a loan to buy a building downtown in Cincinnati, the Carew Tower, for example, you're going to do a wow, one. I'm, thank you. You're, hey, <laughs> most seen at Acru had you buying the Great American building. So I'm going to go old school. Honestly, I would take Carew Tower any day. Okay. It's a beautiful French art deco building, but I digress. It is, it is beautiful. And I'm a Cincinnati native, so I'm I'm all into that. But oh, um, you understand, you appreciate it I, too, big yeah. time. Yeah, that and and John Roebling, he's like a hero to me. So I uh, I, I get it. <laughs> Love it. Um, but you know what we do is if if you're going to go get a loan today, you're going to do it one of two ways: either go directly to your lending contacts at these banks, or work through more likely than not a commercial mortgage broker. Your goal at the end of the day is to get term sheets from all of these different banks and decide, hey, these terms are are best for my financial situation and my projections moving forward. And I'm going to go with this bank and they're going to give me the money to to fulfill this business goal or this dream or this investment scenario. Basically getting quotes. Correct. Exactly what it is, right? So today, this process takes four to six weeks on average Costs a lot of money, whether you're paying analysts to, why, to And do why this. does it take so long yeah. too? Yeah. So it takes so long because you are taking all of this information, presenting it to these banks, right? But all of this information comes from a lot of disconnected systems, right? So there, there's, it's, it's not very centralized. And for example, you have to get perhaps liquidity information from multiple banks, right? You have to have analysts run, run, numbers for your debt to service coverage ratio on your entire portfolio. You're going to provide um, some sort of company history as well to talk about your character. You're going to provide financial projections for these buildings. So it's a lot, it's data intensive. And this data mm-hmm. is scattered across all of these disconnected pl- platforms. So what Nectar does is we, we simplify this. We aggregate this data for you. We utilize your existing portfolio and information we have on your current debt we utilize different plugins. And our goal is to take that four to six week process and we compress it into about four to six minutes. And not only do we do that, mm. but we save you a lot of time, a lot of time, a lot of time and money, I should say, a lot of money, because a lot of times you're paying a commercial mortgage broker 
a 1% fee on the transaction in order to mm. facilitate that, that lending relationship with you. So, you know, we're, we're a tool for borrowers. We're a tool today for commercial mortgage brokers, and we're a pipeline for lenders to try to automate that process. So that's what we do today. But what we're building is a full scale commercial debt platform where you can go buy and sell debt. You can bid on bid on loans. That that is our goal at the end of the day. But we're starting with the pain points, and and the bottleneck today is this is creating this debt package. And I know that was a lot. <laughs> yeah, the, it's processing. It, 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 thank goodness we did not record video because Ali and I look like deer in headlights every time. And, and my eyes are going all over the place. <laughs> my brain is rendering now. right now. <laughs> um, so Connor, that's great, but. Why has it taken so long for the commercial real estate market to get on board when the residential yeah. real estate market, like I just do a phone call and you get like a loan in like four minutes. Why did it take so long for the commercial real estate? Is that because there's just so much money involved? Yeah, no doubt. So it's 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 very data intensive, right? I mean, commercial real estate, mm. super sophisticated, super robust industry, but it's an aging demographic. You know, the, the, the people in the industry have been doing it for a long time. Yeah, money. And, and, you know, mm. they're, they're kind of aging with the industry and there's this new wave of technology, prop tech, fintech, that's really facilitating, I wouldn't call it a revolution, but a new way of doing things in this industry. And, and you're seeing that a lot in Cincinnati, even um, with, with Accrue and Picasso and, and prior to that dot loop. I mean, uh, there's a lot of great prop tech companies coming out of Cincinnati right now. And it's very exciting. So who is the typical person that you're working with then? Who qualifies to work with you because as we're saying, commercial real estate, it's probably not going to be any Joe Schmo off the street. You need to have some sort of portfolio to show for it, I would imagine, or maybe I'm just assuming that. Yeah. So um, we, we run the full spectrum of potential investors and that spectrum sits from you and your friends who are, are going to perhaps buy a multifamily unit at Xavier and in, in Norway. Apparently I'm buying Carew Towers. Yeah, right. <laughs> or, Let's or stick with that one. Yeah. So so you're you're buying an investment property. Don't sell me short here, Connor. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's, let's say you're buying an investment property with with a group of family members and, and friends, right? You know, that, and it, it's your first first purchase. You're gonna yeah. you're gonna rent it out. It's a it's a it's a four unit multifamily building. You're going to rent it out to some Xavier students, and that's going to be income generating property for you. And that's that's very exciting. That's kind of one end of the spectrum, right? The other end of the spectrum are these large national developers, these large funds, and these private equity firms. Not not quite Blackstone, but you know we're 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 on our way there, and we've garnered interest from the entire spectrum. Our early adopters are more often than not the former. So a lot of these smaller entities or groups of three to five individuals who own a portfolio of of multifamily units that they rent to to college kids or or an income generating property down in the central business district that they have three or four tenants with, right? So that's, so that's could, a lot but of But could users. I have no experience? Could I, could I have no experience and come to you and say, hey, I want to start to get into this? Yes, no doubt. Or do so, you want us to have experience before we come to you? So experience is not needed, right? We made this process hmm. so simple that, you know, my, my grandmother who is 93 years old, God bless her soul, she can go on and apply for a loan um, in about five minutes. I mean, it's it's that easy. And, you know, it's, it's and, you know, so, sorry, grandma, but to throw you under the bus there, but 
it's it's really that easy. So so basically, you need to have a property in mind. You have to you have to have the property closed and 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 ready for financing. You have to be ready to go get financing for this property. But other than that, you know, throw it out the window because any anybody can do this, right? And and we made it. We we tried to simplify a very complicated process. And and on the back end, we have all of these algorithms that are running, and it it is somewhat complicated. But from a UI perspective, a user interface perspective. We made it as easy as it can be in, in, our, in our journey to automate this, this space. So why do you think it is those smaller groups being your early adopters versus the, you know, I guess the larger private equity firms that, you know, have a whole bunch of money? You think they would probably want their processes faster so they can acquire more properties faster? Yeah, great question. And, and that's, that's exactly what we were thinking, right? So through a little bit of trial and error, We've realized that these larger firms, um, while they see need in this product, because we're, we're monitoring all of their historical debt too, by the way, um, and they're you know they have a lot they have a lot going on. They have reporting cover, covenants as well. We see that these larger groups can benefit from it, but they have so much data that our our product today isn't in a place where we can facilitate a transaction for you know. $150 million for Blackstone, for example, right? Um, and, and, and we're working to that point. And I think that since they have so much data and they're so entrenched in the industry, it's really difficult for them to go in and, and trust this, this new software. Because again, it's, it's an aging kind of leadership demographic that, that runs commercial real estate, commercial real estate finance, and they're, they're not as privy to change. So on the flip side, a lot of the very entrepreneurial people that go out and, and they they buy investment properties, right? Um, they're a little bit more tech savvy, but they're a little bit less data intensive, um, a little bit less sophisticated from a, a data implementation standpoint, where it just makes a lot of sense for them to go save a, save 1% of the transaction and, and a month of time by running it through Nectar. I imagine they have less risk too, right? If you're dealing with folks who are already in the industry, they've probably built a lot of relationships around their business to begin with. So that can also complicate things. And I, I want to put a hypothetical situation out here. So let's say, cool, we just acquire, we're, we're, we have four Xavier houses that we're running and renting out to students. What is it specifically, once, let's say we partner with you, what is it specifically that you're monitoring monitoring when we're up and running? Yep. So once you're up and running, we monitor all of the vitals of your portfolio. So everything you need to know about the health of your current debt portfolio. If you say have 10 properties, you'll, you will likely have to have reporting requirements to banks and, and depending on how you're structured, perhaps government entities, right? And we automate that entire process. You don't have to call three different banks to find out your, your global liquidity we have it as 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 a big shining beacon right on on your dashboard, right? And then and then when you're ready to go get a new loan, all you have to do is press the big red launch button, and out comes this beautiful debt package because we're already monitoring your your debt portfolio, right? And and again, that process takes just a couple of minutes for this 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 aggregate this information this data aggregation to go get a new loan. It takes just a couple of minutes. As opposed to, you know, again, four to six weeks with multiple middlemen, middle people in this in this process. 
So how did you get the banks on board with what you're doing? Is this already public information or did you really have to like call people up on the phone and be like, hey, let's partner? A little bit of both. So Steve and I, my my co-founder, my partner, uh, my partner in crime, we are in the industry, right? So we we have some contacts that are willing to, you know, hop on this and, and they've loved it so far. On the flip side, yeah, of course, we're reaching out to these lenders. And, and kind of a third, a third way of, of bringing lenders onto the pipeline are, well, the, the borrowers are on this, on this site because it makes their lives so much easier. The investors are on this because it makes their lives so much easier. So their loan, lenders are going to follow them in this transition. And that's, that's kind of what we've been seeing. And the benefit for lenders is you know, they're, they're sitting at their desk and receiving a pipeline of deals, right? They're not paying for the subscription they're getting a pipeline of deals that are already underwritten for them based on their, their risk criteria. Because US Bank and Fifth Third and a little boutique lender down, down SBA firm down on the river, right? They have different risk thresholds and they do different types of deals. Some might like multifamily, some might like industrial, some might like these financials, some might like those. So it's it's kind of all over the board. And we we don't want to waste their time. These lenders on a daily basis are getting deals sent to them that are, they cause a lot of underwriting and they, they don't always work out, right? So, so our goal is to, you know, vet these deals for, for these lenders, provide them with a, a you know, streamline, a, a free pipeline of deals for that, that are pre-underwritten for their risk threshold for them to go on and, and, you know, just all they have to do is submit a term sheet because they have this entire debt package right there in front of them. So once a loan is accepted, when, let's say, okay, looking to buy, buy a property and I say, and you, you vet certain options to me and I decide what happens next. So you are- and you might've already answered this, but- Yeah, no, I, I don't think I did, um, but that's a great question. So let's say you're ready to go get a loan. You press the big red launch button and here comes your debt package, right? Beautiful debt package has all of the vitals of your portfolio in this property you're acquiring. You then have the option to submit it to our lending database, which is it's it's a backend database of lenders from all over the country, high level. You know th- these are U.S. Bank, First Financial, Bank of America type of lenders, and you, you have that option. But as you mentioned before, Ali, since this is such a relationship-based business, right? These these, mm-hmm. these people have been working together for decades, and it takes a lot of trust to to, to finance these deals. Well, you can send it to whomever you want. If you want to send it to directly to the, the lenders that you've been working with for the last 20 years, that's all you. We, we don't care. You're saving you know, a month of time and, and a 1% fee regardless, right? So once that happens, the lenders also have a back end, a front end portal, I should say, where they can connect directly with you um, in whichever communication method you prefer, whether that's by phone, email, through our chat function on, on the platform. Our goal is to get you a term sheet. That's our goal today, is to get you a term sheet in a couple of days as opposed to a couple of months. So with that said, switching gears a little bit, but let's say someone is looking to move forward and purchase a property. What are some of those things, the basic things that people need to think about to get a good loan? Yeah, so uh, of course, and, and there are some of these vitals that I've been I've been talking about, right? So your credit is, is obviously a big part of it. And it, it, it's not very different from getting a personal mortgage, I should say, right? So mm-hmm. they're going to look at your, it, it's shockingly similar. 
but but you know you're you're working as an entity as opposed to an individual more often than not. So they're going to look at your credit. They're going to look at your debt to service service coverage ratio. Um, your projections for for the property are very important, right? Um, market comparables and and things like your character. Banks use this term character, and it's more of a subjective way to look at deals. What are background FBI check. Yeah, right. I mean, it kind of sounds like that. Where are the bodies hidden? <laughs> well, for being such a like a quantitative process, right? They get pretty, uh, you know, personal here and there, and it's it's to mitigate risk on the on the lending side of things. So when it comes to yeah, that character yeah. aspect, that's two pages in a, in our in our debt package that we automate. We're creating this beautiful standardized debt package, and in our onboarding process, in our integration process, we sit down with our clients and we say, um, you know, Mr. Developer, Mr. and Mrs. Developer, tell us about your company. You've been around for 125 years. Give us something to to take to these banks so that they know that you're a tr- trustworthy borrower and that that you know not only are your financials in line, but that that you have the ability to to go in and and perform on this on this commitment that you're making. So, do you have all these pieces already like completely built out, or are you still having to do this pretty manual starting out right now? Like you said, like going to Mr. and Mrs. Developer and being like, hey tell us about yourselves and then we'll go to the banks and then we'll work with all the analysts and all the people. Like, is this still pretty manual or do you guys have this all really built out already in the software? Yep. So the manual process for us, for Steve and I is, is really just onboarding. That's it. You give us your portfolio. We're, we're going to onboard you. You say, Hey Patrick, you say, Hey Connor, um, I want to be up and running Monday. I want to see all of my debt. Well, we're going to utilize, you know, plugins that that we we have implemented for market stats and for you know Plaid for your liquidity and, and different different things like that. So we automate as much as possible. But Steve and I on the back end for onboarding purposes only, we're going to be inputting this information, right? And then when it comes to kind of the heavy lifting on on your end from a from a UX perspective, it takes you no more than three to five minutes to fill out the additional information that you need to go acquire this new project, this new opportunity, this new property that you've been that you've been eyeballing. How are you did you develop the software yourself? Did you hire this out? Did you like yeah. how who did you work with to you know accomplish this big feat it seems like? Yeah, so th- this has been this has been a, a journey to say the least. Again, mm-hmm. Steve and I kind of chiseled the idea down over 2020 and then decided to outsource the the tech, the development in February, January, February, around then. Um, We've outsourced it to an awesome team of now three developers who are are all pretty local. One of them are are kind of part-time CTO. He's head of product at a really fast-growing, well-funded startup in Cincinnati um, as well that we're really excited about. He's not going to be able to stick around forever. So on a parallel path to, to business development and building out this product, we are actually looking to hire a full-time CTO to start in the August September timeframe. Audience, if you know anyone, <laughs> reach there out. You go. We'll get you connected. Yeah, no so doubt. So, how are you funding all of this, too? Yep. So we've bootstrapped it to this point. Uh, Steve and I have, oh, wow. have utilized our, our own funds. Took a little, a little bit of family and friends, but we we've done as much as we can with as little as possible, and we're we're certainly happy where where we are. With, with what we put into it financially. That's for sure. Okay, kind of switching gears a little. How did you get interested in commercial real estate? Did yeah. you just like wake up one day at Xavier University in your dorm like, hey, 
I want to get into commercial real estate. <laughs> the musky mentality, baby. Hey, hey, by the way, let me just shout out on the podcast, go muskies. I just had to say Yes, it. let's go X. Go X. So Now we're going to have um, somebody from UC on wanting to give shout outs now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. So yeah, I, I, was, I was an undergrad student at Xavier and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I, I've always been really passionate about economics. I love like macroeconomics, socioeconomics, uh, macro trends, right? I am also really data oriented. So I love statistics and uh, marketing and the aesthetics that go into the statistics. So I saw this, this commercial real estate gig as kind of a, a blend of all of this, right? It's a lot of financial underwriting. It's a lot of negotiation, a lot of contracts, a lot of selling and marketing products and, and organizations and people and companies. And it was kind of like a holistic approach. So I started my career working at some healthcare systems in Cincinnati on, on the commercial real estate end of things while I was at Xavier as an intern. Transitioned into industrial assets, a little bit of capital markets, which means I was underwriting a lot of these uh, potential acquisitions and opportunities for much larger organizations, whether it's an investor or an occupier or a lessor, I should say. So it kind of encompassed a lot of different things I was super interested in. But my favorite thing about commercial real estate, and for anybody out there who is thinking about pursuing commercial real estate as a career, I got to learn about all of these different companies, right? So every time I'm working with a, a new organization, for example, a GE Aviation or a, or a P&G, neither of whom were my clients, but those kinds of companies, for example, you have to, you have to know about their processes intimately, right? You have to know how, if P&G is opening a new factory to, to produce pampers, you have to know how these pampers are produced to help them yeah, optimize slow. efficiency, right? And you're working with their finance department mm. because, you know, they're, they're, they're a business and they're, they're, they're you mm -hmm. know, here to make money, but they're not here to spend it, right? Yeah. So um, there, there's just a lot that goes into it. And I was working with a lot of these different companies and, and some startups at times. And these startups were saying, you know, look at what we're building. This is so cool. And, and I would get more interested in what they were building and, and that specific company than, you know, the deal itself. And I always kind of had this entrepreneurial mindset. And, you know, I said, I'm, I'm always going to start a company someday. And Steve came to me with, this awesome idea. Um, and again, we, we worked it and reworked it. And we said, you know, hey, I, if somebody's going to do this, this, there's a need in the space for this, for this simplifying this real estate debt. And, uh, you know, it might, might as well be us because we, we're, we're the right people to do it. So now from an entrepreneurial mindset, I'd love to kind of keep that going. When you decided to launch Nectar, what was that first step into starting a business for you? Because there's so many moving pieces. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's a whirlwind. So first-time founders, Steve and I are both first-time founders. And we didn't know where to start. We had no, we had no idea. Yeah, where, does you, where do you begin? Right? So Cincinnati is such a welcoming and su supporting community, right? Um, Cincinnati wants Cincinnati companies to do well. And, and we're just completing our, our stint with G-Beta right now. Jeff and Rowan have been absolutely awesome at G-Beta, a generator, a pre-accelerator, and, and Patrick obviously is, is very involved as well. Um, so, you know, thing, things like that, just utilizing resources 
we've been able to kind of kind of build this very organically. And where we started, we literally started with a, a piece of paper, you know, call it the back of a napkin and and drawing out, hey, what does this process look like? How is it done today? And how can we automate it? So from there, we identified the cog in the machine, the bottleneck, the pain point, which is aggregating this data for these debt packages. And then we said, okay, how can we automate that? Right. And, and we're, we're mm-hmm. focusing on this pain point, this, this, uh, this bottleneck in order to create something much bigger. We want to create a, a commercial debt market marketplace, because again, this is, this is quantitative information, right? This should be automated. Um, you shouldn't have to go interview, you know, quote unquote interview with all of these different banks that are based geographically on, on where you are. Right. So that's kind of where, where, where it all started. And, we started calling around to different people that we knew who knew software developers. I didn't know any software developers. So we were calling friends of friends and got yeah. hooked up with somebody that is absolutely awesome out of Oxford. And he's introduced us to a couple of other people as well. So ended up um, you know, getting to where we are six months, seven months later. Now, with those developers too, were you hoping that those people had a little bit of knowledge and background in the commercial real estate world or... Was that not the case for you and Steve? To riff on that, you know, how did you vet them, especially in this like market? A couple of times, our first couple of developers didn't really work out very well because we didn't know what we were doing on our end. Okay, so there's there's fire slow, fire fast, right? Right, and again, we've learned. I've learned more in the last six months than I've learned in the last you know twenty six years, right? So, you know, we we're, we're certainly learning as first time entrepreneurs. We're and, and because of that, you know, we've we've been able to navigate this process very carefully, and we ended up getting really lucky to land with a couple of developers who have finance and, and more specifically real estate backgrounds. Because as we continue to interview potential CTOs or heads of products, people that we want to come on our team and own this product, right? As we begin to interview them, it's really um, it, it's it's been more difficult having the conversation with people that are outside of the industry. And, and it's because it's such a niche product, right? It's tough to fully understand the back end and everything that's going on without me and Steve sitting down and, and kind of going through the process and answering questions. Now, do you think that's going to be an issue for you two moving forward is getting people to understand how this actually works? No, I do not. And I don't because I don't think that's an issue because the people that we're marketing this to, the, the companies and the small entities that we're marketing this to, they are the end users, right? They are well aware of this issue. They experience it on a daily basis. Yeah. And um, again, it's a, it's a niche market, but this niche market is the largest asset class in the world. So it's it's tough to you know explain to my, my 93-year-old grandmother, for example, but we simplified it to the extent that she can still use the product. She's not your audience. Yeah, she, <laughs> she's not your audience. So then how are you marketing to your audience? Yep, so very organically. Grassroots marketing. Steve and I have been in the industry, so we're reaching out to people that we know, you know have, have, have had this problem in the past and, and will continue to have this problem. We've started in Cincinnati. We're having a lot of conversations and getting really great traction with with companies, other companies in the Midwest, Indianapolis, Columbus, Chicago, as well as a lot of traction out of New York City as well, and, and a little bit out of Charlotte. So mm. we're, we're growing organically, we're utilizing connections, and more, more so than we thought, this thing is growing by word of mouth within the industry. Again, it's a tight-knit industry, so people talk. 
And people experience the same problems, the same pain points on a daily, weekly basis. So they're sharing kind of tricks of the trade. And we're providing this really cool outlet for people to expedite these processes. I want you to kind of deep dive. What kind of traction do you have to date and how are you making money on this? Yep. So to to answer your ladder, we are going to start making money um, this month in July. July 1st is our first first day That's of revenue. That's today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Congratulations, no, I hope. <laughs> I appreciate that, yeah. So we, we were really excited when um, had had the opportunity to come on and thank you again. Um, but it, it's kind of serendipitous because again, today's our, our first revenue generating day. So what we've done to this point, yeah, it's exciting. We're, we're really pumped. We've just been on a business development sprint, you know, doing mm. demos every day. And, and we were pre-MVP until about mid-June. So with that, we were having about a 33% conversion rate, um, even even pre MVP. And today we have we just have five early adopters, five pilot users who throughout the month of June we've been we've been working with and massaging the, the product to make make sure that that it works. Because again, this is a sophisticated industry with people that have been doing it for a long time. And we're trying to, we, we want to make sure that we're ready before we hit the market and we feel like we're there. So on top of our current five yeah. early adopters, we have about 20 users on, on our wait list that are ready to onboard. We're going to expect another 10 next week because we, again, we're on this business development sprint that today we just don't have the bandwidth to onboard 30 users, right? But in the next couple of weeks, we will get to that point where, where we're ready to ready to scale. So with these initial users, what was some of the feedback that you were receiving that you probably weren't expecting that you had to take forward and potentially change what you were doing? All of our feedback has been constant and more and more and more as we get deeper in the trenches of this product. Um, we started this just by asking questions. We were asking commercial mortgage brokers that we knew, asking real estate developers, individual investors, uh, the lenders, hey, what do you want to see in this product? And this product actually started as a, we were going to be a, a broker with a website in, es, in essence. That's what our competitors are. They're basically a commercial mortgage broker that has a website, has the ability to input mm-hmm. loan opportunities from anywhere all over the country and then output them to anywhere all over the country as well, right? And that's that's where we started. And we said, you know what? That's just us replacing this middle person in the process, this cog. We're just creating a new cog. And it's already such a messy, disconnected process. How can we automate that? So that's where we, we discovered, hey, we, we narrowed down on the pain point. We said, hey, the pain point is creating this debt package. And in order to automate that, what do we need to do, right? And, and so we decided, hey, let's, let's automate this debt package by utilizing existing portfolio information, different plugins, right? Different ways of, of thinking to, to make this happen. So what is the average amount of revenue you're going to be taking in per deal, especially because you do have this wide range of, I guess, users and buyers, I guess, what would be like the average, I guess, size of a deal almost? Yep. From, from our limited experience and and our projections, we're thinking the average size is going to be about $5 million per transaction. Right. So um, we have some users that are going to be closer to 18 or 20 million dollars that that have approached us. We have some that are closer to half a million or one million dollars. Right. So our 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 sweet spot is five to ten million dollars per transaction. Say the average transaction is five million dollars. We're making about thirteen thousand dollars on that transaction because how, how do we make money? We charge 
a because that wait that five million dollars is the is the investment of the property that that they're total investment. Yep, and I'll I'll tell you where where we where we make money. So today, a commercial mortgage broker it's it's tranched based on the deal size. So the larger the deal, the smaller the fee. But industry standard, more often than not, a commercial mortgage broker is making a a one percent fee on the transaction. We take twenty five basis points or a quarter of 1% on the transaction, right? So for example, on a $5 million transaction, we take $12,500. That's a, that's a quarter of a point. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're not only facilitating that role of a commercial mortgage broker, but we're, we're, we're doing it in a, a very small fraction of, of the time. And why did you settle on a quarter of a point for that? Yeah, great question. Um, market knowledge. So um, going 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 to and from different potential users, mortgage brokers see this as a as a tool for them until you know perhaps eventually down the road they might get replaced by automation. But they, they see it as a tool and and a lot of brokers are and borrowers are willing to pay that fee in order to to expedite this process. So how big can Nectar Capital get? How big is this opportunity? Especially if you're already working with people in New York. Yeah, we're, you know what, we're, we're trying to grow as, as quickly as possible, but we're trying to be smart about it. So again, we're first time founders. And with that, there are a lot of unknown unknowns, uh, things that we don't know we're going to pop up, right? That happens on a daily basis. It's the bane of my existence, but it also kind of keeps us going. So <laughs> like you said, but you're learning more in these six months no than you ever have in your in your entire life. Yeah, so. no doubt. It's, it's, it's a really cool opportunity, really cool experience. But to answer your question a little bit more directly, we don't know how, how big this is going to get. We know again, that this could facilitate lending for not only the largest asset class in the world, but potentially different types of commercial debt, right? Perhaps all types of PP&E down the road, because again, this is quantitative information and, and our goal is to compress this process. So you know, our, our, our TAM today, you know, $16 billion, right? That we, we see that as, as attainable at some point, but there are so many different ways to monetize this as, as this kind of monster today. It really is. It's, 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 it's a three headed monster going all over the place that we're trying to, to rein in because it's, it's growing very rapidly. There are a lot of different ways to monetize this, but we're today, we're going to stick with what we're really good at and, and go, go from there. Your total addressable market in theory could be bigger than 16 billion because there's different parts within the commercial real estate market you can take on, correct? In, in essence, yeah. I mean, commercial real estate market is, is enormous. There were, you know, 500 and over $500 billion lent on in, in 2019 alone. The data for 2020 is, is up in the air, but, you know, obviously. But with that, just basically based on our fees, and our debt monitoring portion, which we charge a monthly subscription for, by the way, based on our fees and our debt monitoring, yeah, we, we think this is a, if, if we can capture a small percentage of the market, this, this is something that we can scale um, to, to become you know, much, much bigger than, than we dreamed. Yeah. And switching gears a little bit, from a personal perspective, this is not full-time correct for you right now. Correct. Yeah. Steve and I both have nine to five jobs, and this is our you know, the other 12 hours in, in the day that, that we spend not sleeping. How do you do it then? What has been the biggest challenges for you two? Yeah. So it's, it's been super challenging and, and I, I hate to, uh, you know, cry wolf, but because I feel like every <laughs> founder does this, right. Or, or a lot of founders go through this 
And at some point it takes a leap of faith just to go all in. And, and Steve and I are, are, are close to that, right? So we're working our, our nine to fives right now. And we both have pretty demanding jobs that are very client facing. So, you know, we're, we're spending a lot of time all day, but COVID, you know, regardless, it, it was such a tragic event. But there have been some silver linings that have come from it, um, you know, in, in order to make society a little bit more efficient. efficient. And, and one of those is remote work, right? So mm-hmm. Steve and I have adopted this kind of hybrid style where, yeah, we're, we're working all day at, at, at our day jobs, which are client facing and, and we have to be there. We're on Zoom and we're meeting in person and, and on calls all day. But in between, I mean, I, I, can, I can look to my right and answer some Nectar emails. So uh, it, it, we're, we're always on, right? We're, we're, we have business development calls, potential investor calls all day, every day, scattered in between my other job. And I think it takes, it takes a lot of concentration and focus to turn it on and turn it off between different things. You know, we'll, we'll be pitching to an investor and they'll say, oh my gosh, term sheet coming your way. We're so excited. We're, we're pumped. We're happy. And then I go over to my, my day job and they say, um, just about the opposite, right? So yeah. it's 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 a lot of it's the highest highs and the lowest lows. You have to be able to turn it on, turn it off, and it is an absolute grind on, on until you're able to go full time. And and we we think we're really close to that point. So if and when this happens, right? Because it's you and Steve right now and a small group of developers, Correct. and you hire out and you bring on a team. What will you and Steve then decide to implement? into Nectar when you start having employees? We are at the point where our overhead after, you know, post MVP, our overhead is is slim to none. We need to pay for product development, some plugins, um, you know, pay ourselves a little bit and, and you know, just get going on this, you know, probably a little bit of business development um, in our expenses. But but with that, we're just going to hit the hit the ground running. I mean, I so I'm, I'm the COO, Steve's the CEO, he spearheads business development. I kind of handle all of the back office work, sitting, meet, meeting with investors and, and, and operational, legal and, and, and financial, di- different things, right? But we're kind of a two-headed monster in, in our own right, where if Steve's not around, I can pick up and vice versa, right? So we're, we're almost interchangeable. And so our goal is to, once, once we're, we, we've raised enough money, which we're fundraising right now, we're, we're kind of in the throes of it, our, our seed round. Once we've raised enough money or generated enough revenue in the next couple of months to go full time on this thing, we are we are full speed ahead. And there aren't many more features that we want to implement in the next six months. We want to get really good at what we're doing. So how much money are you planning on raising for your seed round? So we're we're looking we're looking to raise a million dollars. We're raising a one million dollar seed round, just started pitches in the last couple of weeks which have gone really well and really poorly, as, as you would yeah. know, right? Um, first time founder. So it's a learning experience. But, you know, we're, we're, we have some fun soft circled and, and we're, we're certainly on our way. What advice can you give to someone who might be going through their first couple rounds of pitches? Oh, um, keep, keep going. So we are, we're not to the point where we are even, you know, simply satisfied with with our pitch. We're Steve and I are both a bit of perfectionists uh, to to our dismay. I mean, I can't even go on our Nectar website anymore because I see so many things I want to change, you know, immediately. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's kind of how we've approached our pitches as well. So the only thing I can recommend is is take feedback, right? Take all of this feedback that you're getting and ask for feedback because a lot of people, mm, you know, they'll get a pass a and they'll say. 
um, you know, okay, well, thanks. And they'll follow up with an email and that's, that's it. Well, you know, ask for feedback. Hey, you know, I, I know you're, you're going to pass it and I really appreciate you taking the time today, but you know, some, some constructive criticism, where would I better fit your investment thesis perhaps, right? What, what could we improve on? Um, so that six months from now, I can, I can reapproach you and from a different angle. And I, I think that that's helped us a lot, you know, over the last few weeks and, and month, refine our pitch and, and get to a point where we're ready to, you know, we've gotten to a point, I should say, where, where we're ready to ask for that money. What advice would you give to founders based off of your last six months of experience? Oh, man, um, <laughs> that's tough. You, you got to keep going. You, you have to keep going. That's the thing. We, we've reached so many points where Steve and I are, you know, we're, we're dejected and we're down and man, we had this really great strategic partnership that just fell through and, and, oh, this investor looks like, you know, we, we went through seven, seven rounds of, of, you know, due diligence with them and they, they fell through and it's, it's the highest highs and the lowest lows, but you have to keep that vision, right? You, you, you have to, you have to keep going and it's not easy starting a company. I mean, it's, it's the, it's, it's really hard, right? I mean, Shows like Silicon Valley and and movies like uh, The Social Network they glorify this, right? They, it's they Hollywood, it so, right? Duh, I mean, it's production, it's not, right? And you know, Ali, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's so that's not real, right? I mean, it's, this mm-hmm. is a grind, and the people that make it over the last six months, I have a I have a newfound appreciation for the people that make it, and and I don't know yet what it takes, but I I know what it takes to make it through the first six months, and it's a grind, and you, you just have to keep going. I mean, keep at it. That's that's the bottom line. And, and no matter what, keep moving forward. Uh, I love that. So where can people find everything about Nectar Capital? For sure. So first, I want to tell you, we're, we're going to be part of Generator G-Beta's pitch night mm-hmm. next Tuesday, July 6th, um, to tell you know the community about Nectar. Anybody that wants to join, check out, check out G-Beta's pitch night next Tuesday, July 6th. Virtual, really excited about it. But if you want to go check out Nectar, go to NectarCapital.com. And and we're all about Save the Bees, but it's Nectar with an O, N-E-C-T-O-R, <laughs> Capital.com. Um, click on click on the Learn More button, and, and I'll, I'll give you a call. Yeah, no worries. Love it. Well, Connor, thank you so much for taking the time today. This was awesome. Yes, thank you, Connor. This is great. Awesome. Thank you guys very much. I, I really appreciate it, and we'll hopefully talk soon. What a great conversation with Connor. I learned a lot and his energy is infectious. Infectious. You can tell he's excited about it. And it's a space that, you know, we're slowly kind of learning a little bit more about. This isn't our expertise. This is his expertise. So it's interesting to know that these are small problems that a lot of people in the industry are experiencing as we're learning. Find a problem and solve it. And he's really trying to approach and attack that. And I think he's doing it, him and Steve, it seemed to be doing it in a smart manner. Definitely. And it sounds so easy that you and I can maybe start uh, a One Pigs Fly LLC and buy the crew tower. Buy the crew tower and launch the pig off the top of the tower. (laughs) And then we'll talk to a lawyer next so he can defend our actions. Hey, who knows? That pig might fly. It could be a great (laughs) PR stunt. I'm just saying we're on to something. Just like the beluga whale back in (laughs) one of our earlier episodes. So go check that out. But, you know, know. Connor is great. If I had a million dollars, I would invest in him 
right yeah. now because whether it's this startup or his next startup, he's going to make it at some point because he yeah. constantly grinds and constantly clearly wants this and he's going to make it happen no matter what. That is such a overarching theme to everyone who's an entrepreneur, right? You, you can't you can't be lazy. And yeah, he might be young and he graduated from Xavier in 2016, continuing on his education actually with the Harvard Business School Online, which is fantastic. But you might have to have a full-time job still in order to get this a startup or, or another business up and running to be a successful entrepreneur. And you're gonna have to grind and you're gonna be told no and you're gonna fall on your face. But it's what happens when you do fall on your face that will determine whether or not you're going to be successful or not. And mm. he, ha Connor has that by nature. Yeah, and I think that's something that each of us, our listeners, can take and learn no matter what you're doing or what you're starting on the side. You know, you just got to keep going and, you know. Hustle, baby. Hustle. Mm -hmm. All Every about the hustle. Cut Allie off. Um, but, you know, I think if you're interested in reaching out to him, he's definitely open to those conversations. Go learn more about commercial real estate directly from him. Who knows? Maybe you want to invest in commercial real estate. Go talk to him. <laughs> Allie and I with One Pigs Fly LLC are definitely talking to him. And also, we're really hoping for some feedback from all of you. Yeah. Email us at hosts at whenpigsfly.fm. Reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. We're all there. Thank you to those who have reached out and given us feedback. We really do appreciate it. Yeah. Also, like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to these. And I think with that, Allie, it's time to post. Oh, it's time. Cheers. Cheers. And here's some necessary legal stuff. Allie Martin and Patrick Bailey developed the When Pigs Fly podcast in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, we do not own equity or any financial interest in the companies which appear on the show unless otherwise indicated. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinions of the EW Scripps company and its affiliates or Generator Management LLC and its affiliates or any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation nor provided any investment or legal advice on the show. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week. We also wanna give a shout out to Claire and Christian of Moonbow. They're the two artists of our intro song, which is so catchy and get stuck in our heads all the time. So bop over to Spotify or wherever you find your music and give them a listen. And Like the Night by Moonbow is courtesy of Silver Lake Sync.